Thank you, Dan. I was blessed by that devotion. Although, I'm not going to be up here singing, just so you know. My Lindsay agrees. As many of you may know, I am a big movie guy. Um, one thing I enjoy doing is I enjoy um, watching movies and critiquing them, like different aspects of movies and um, seeing, you know, seeing how movies are developed and characters and soundtracks and special effects. I really, that is something that I really enjoy doing. Right now, a popular trend in Hollywood is making sequels for literally everything. Sometimes sequels can be a good thing, and sometimes sequels can be a bad thing. An instance where a sequel can be a good thing is Toy Story. Toy Story is an instance of a good thing. Toy Story 1 and Toy Story 2 are good. Actually, all the Toy Stories are pretty good movies. An instance of a sequel being a bad thing, and this, is, this might be a hot take, is Indiana Jones, uh, well, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. We have a good movie, and then we have uh, the Temple of Doom, and that was a really disturbing movie. I do not recommend that movie at all. But sequels are a big deal because they are tasked with progressing the story and furthering the characters in the narrative. It's best when the sequels pick up where the last ones leave off. Um... That way, it feels like it's more intertwined together. Today, we are going to be talking about a sequel, and it's not a movie sequel. It's a written historical narrative sequel to the gospel accounts of what happened immediately following the ministry of Christ. We are going to be looking at the book of Acts I want to place a disclaimer to you right now. When Phil assigned me this book to preach, I accepted it eagerly. But as I processed it over the weeks and months, I felt overwhelmed by it. The book of Acts is a gold mine of truth. There is so much in this book, that it cannot be contained to a single sermon. Throughout the history of the church, faithful pastors have spent weeks, months, years preaching through this book alone. There is no way of getting through everything in this single sermon. And I trust God with this sermon that everything that needs to be said will be said. And dear brothers and sisters, be faithful with the scriptures. Study out the word of God with books like Acts because it is a gold mine of truth. The book of Acts was written 
by Luke. And he was the same author who wrote the gospel account of Luke. He wrote it to Theophilus, meaning the lover of God. Luke was a physician, as well as a researcher who was putting together an orderly account of the church. This is considered to be the first recorded church history document. And Acts picks up where Luke's gospel ended. It shows the birth of the church and its growth through the years. It's called Acts, which denotes achievements. But Acts of whom? Acts of the apostles? Luke only records a handful of them, mainly Peter and Paul. It could be better understood as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Even though you don't see the Holy Spirit, you see him working throughout the entire book of Acts because he transforms people in this book. People like Peter, who was in Luke denying Christ, now in Acts boldly proclaiming Christ to the masses who you see Saul, who is persecuting the church, now ministering to pagan Gentiles. Throughout the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is moving through people and transforming them. So with Acts, it is best to be understood as the Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is moving mightily through people. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to empower believers and regenerate unbelievers. We see the mission of the church being laid out by our Lord in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. And this is the mission statement of the church in the book of Acts. And it says this, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, pay attention to this, in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he has said these things, As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and the cloud took him out of their sight. Before Christ ascended into heaven, he gave his apostles marching orders to go into all the world and to be his witnesses, from Jerusalem to to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this morning, I wanted us to take a road trip to truth showing how the church has taken the message of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So let's start, first of all, in Jerusalem. In the first eight chapters of Acts, the apostles begin with where they are in the city of Jerusalem. Christ told them to wait there until they received power of the power of the Holy Spirit 
And during Pentecost, which is the Jewish Feast of Weeks, God poured out the Holy Spirit upon the apostles. And I love the symbolism here that God uses because during, the, during the, this feast of first fruits, um, which were offered, and on this day, the first fruits of salvation were being given to believers, which is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost becomes the birth of the church. When the Holy Spirit arrived, it sounded like a mighty rushing wind. Tongues of fire appeared upon the apostles' heads, and they spoke in tongues, well, they spoke in languages of other men. And this drew a crowd, and people from around the world were present from the, for this festival, and they began listening in. Peter began to preach Christ to them, and he gave an amazing sermon in Acts 2. Now, growing up in a Restoration Movement church, preaching the book of Acts, I cannot pass up Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. And it says this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The people who heard Peter's preaching were cut to the heart. They were confronted with their sin, and they believed that Jesus was both Lord and God. And they, were, they, had, they asked the question, what shall we do? Peter called them to repent of their sins and to be baptized. They believed God and they obeyed what was commanded of them. Faith produced obedience. They believed and they were baptized. And with baptism, the Greek word is baptizo, which means to be dipped or immersed. Not poured, not sprinkled, but to be fully immersed. And it says in Acts 2, around 3,000 were baptized that day from Peter's preaching. That's quite a way to start a church on a first day. It's amazing. And in Acts 2, we get an early snapshot of daily life in the church. And from verses 42 through 46. And it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who were believed, and all who believed were, were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food and were glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all peoples. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Several things that we can learn from the early days of the church. First of all, they devoted themselves to doctrine. Doctrine is another word for teachings about God. They fellowshiped. Fellowship is, um, well, first of all, let's talk about what fellowship is not, and then we'll talk about what fellowship is. Fellowship is not when Christians get together to grumble about politics or to talk about the weather. Fellowship is when Christians get together to talk about Jesus. We see that also, we see that they participated in the breaking of bread. They partook of the Lord's Supper regularly. They also had times of corporate prayer. That was another regular thing that they did. And we also see that the apostles were performing signs and wonders. There was, and also another thing that needs to be said, there are no modern day apostles. The, the only apostles that there are are the 12 apostles, that those who saw and walked with Christ back when Christ was doing his ministry, and Paul, who was one who was abnormally born back during the, you know, times, New Testament times. So just making that clear. So the office of apostle is closed. So those who are claiming to be apostles or claiming to be doing signs and wonders, I am extremely skeptical of, and I'm sorry, and I'm just going to say that. Also, we see that the early church was selling and distributing their possessions to all in need which is not socialism, by the way, because they were doing it of their own free will. And I think it's important to note that out of all of this, it is God who is adding to their number. God is the one who is building his church. The Christians are just being the one, are just being faithful to his calling for them, and he is blessing their work. Now, Jesus said that there would be troubles in this life, and persecutions would happen, and he wasn't kidding. Persecutions began to happen in Jerusalem. It starts with Peter and John being put before the councils, and later the apostles would be imprisoned. And then in Acts 7, we have the first Christian martyr, Stephen, who would be put to death by stoning. And even in horrible moments like these, God is glorified. But this propels the church forward. Um, The church is moved from inside of Jerusalem to being placed all over Samaria and Judea. 
which we see next in chapters 8 through 12. We see the gospel being taken to Judea and Samaria. Among the dispersion, we see Philip um, going around Samaria and preaching Christ to everyone. Luke records a special encounter that Philip had with an Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. And it says this, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go and join this chariot. So Philip ran and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from this earth, from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. There's a few things that we can draw from this encounter. First of all, we see Philip being obedient to the Spirit's leading to interact with the eunuch. There was a spiritual hunger in this eunuch's life to understand God's word. He was reading out of Isaiah 53 um, and Isaiah 53 is the gospel of the Old Testament. It speaks of Jesus in precise detail. And it's a very amazing passage of scripture. I would go home and read that whenever you, you know, get, off, get home from church today. God had sovereignly set up that situation for Philip to minister to this eunuch. And we see that Philip used Scripture to minister to the eunuch. Scripture is God-breathed, living, and active. And the Holy Spirit uses that to point people to Jesus, to edify believers, and to regenerate non-believers. And the thing we need to remember, Scripture is enough. Scripture is sufficient. It's God's Word. It's what we need, everybody. We don't need extra stuff to throw on to entice people. At the end of the day, you know, it is enough for a hungry soul. Through this interaction between Philip and the eunuch, he came to faith. The eunuch came to faith. And I remember... In my Acts class back at St. Louis Christian College with Dr. Jones, I remember um, being told this, and it always stood out to me. There is no such thing as an unbaptized Christian. After the eunuch came to faith, he immediately wanted to get baptized. 
There was no putting it off. He immediately, there was no putting it off. Okay, let me start over. Let me start that sentence over again. I got tongue-tied. Let me start that over. There was no putting it off. There was no thinking about it. It was something that he knew needed to be done in obedience to Christ. In Acts, time and time again, there is an immediacy when someone has faith in Christ, they are to be baptized shortly thereafter. If someone says they believe in Christ, but they refuse to be baptized, there is a spiritual heart issue going on in that person's life. There, I said it. I'm glad I started over from the beginning. Finally, after the Ethiopian eunuch's baptism, Philip was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord. That eunuch went back to Ethiopia, and I believe he brought the gospel with him to Ethiopia and shared it with the people of Ethiopia. Um, and we can see the gospel spreading even further, the gospel being spread to Africa. It's not explicitly stated, but it's implied by Luke here. And this is also a side note. Um, if you also want to do like some fun church history studying, look up Christianity in Ethiopia. Very fascinating. And if you want to look up a particular person, look up Estefanos. Estefanos. He was like a reformer in Ethiopia. Really fascinating dude. Really fascinating. We might do it on Monday night sometime. It'll be cool. It'll be really cool. I'm getting excited just thinking about it. Um, which brings us to the, the last section of Acts. In the last 16 verse, the last 16 chapters of the book of Acts could be titled The Adventures of Paul because Luke takes a narrative shift off of Peter and the other apostles and really begins focusing on Paul and his missionary journeys. We see Paul traveling with his friends like Luke, Barnabas, and Silas as he is declaring the gospel to the Gentiles. And I love how God has a sense of humor um, because God took the most Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews, and turns him into a missionary to the Gentile world. And it shows us the grace of God because before Saul, Paul, was ravaging the church. He was arresting Christians and having them killed. And now he is taking the gospel to people whom he would have never interacted with. People he would have never, people who he would have considered inferior, dirty people. And now he was loving them and considering them family. And Paul faced many problems during his travels. He was imprisoned multiple times. He was stoned in Lystra. He faced dangers of a mob in Ephesus. He there was a plot against his life by the Jews. He survived a storm out at sea. Then he was shipwrecked afterwards, not to mention being bit by a viper. Um, but all that was worth it because he was on a mission. 
In Acts 14, it says, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Don't you just love that? One thing I love about Acts is how it is written. We see the beginning at the beginning that Jesus is commanding his apostles to be the wit, his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. At the very end of the book, Acts 28, we see Paul in Rome, which was considered the ends of the earth at that time. Luke ends his book by saying this, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, that they will listen. He lived there, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He was imprisoned, but declaring the gospel freely. Luke leaves Acts open-ended because he was tasked with the same responsibility. The message remains the same. The Holy Spirit is still working today, bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. We're still living in Acts today because that's, and I love how Luke leaves it open-ended. Now, as I was writing this, there was another passage of scripture that really like hit hard to me as I was preparing this. And it's in Acts chapter 5. And I'll make it quick. Um, and this is when the, the apostles were um, standing before in the courts, um, in the Jewish courts, because they were proclaiming Christ. And it says this. But Peter and the apostles answered, But we must obey God rather than men. And that verse stood out to me. That verse really struck me as I was preparing this, this as I was finalizing everything this week. It hits me on two different less levels. Here the apostles are being told not to proclaim Jesus. The apostles are taking a stand on truth. And they are calling sin for what it is. Wrong. And they are calling men to repent. And at the end of the day... They knew that it is imperative to obey God over men. And it may not be an issue um, about proclaiming Jesus, but at the you know, whatever issue it may be, whether it is right or wrong, if it's hinging on the truth, all truth is God's truth. And ultimately it does point back to our Lord. We're not living in the 1960s, not even the 1990s. And we have to realize that people are more and more increasingly becoming negative towards faith and Christianity. 
and because it is becoming seen as a threat to what you want to do with how you live your life. And my charge to you is to right now grow in the Lord, grow in graciousness, because brothers and sisters, rough days are ahead to take a stand in the truth and to be firm in the truth. But also, this strikes this verse, we must obey God rather than men, strikes on a spiritual level too. On the spiritual level, we are confronted with obeying God or man. Not necessarily a person man, but our own sinful flesh. We are confronted with the gospel, obeying the gospel of Christ, or we are confronted with obeying our flesh. When we are confronted with obeying the gospel of Christ, um, we, are, we go from being dead in our trespasses and sins and being made spiritually alive and adopted into the family of God and given eternal life by believing and trusting in him. And we are also confronted with obeying the flesh, which has appearances of life, but it is deceitful above all. It promises pleasures right now, but it only leads to death. And we are at, each of us has a, each of us stands at a crossroads of which way we are to go. And in Acts, the message is repeatedly, obey God, believe in Christ, and turn from your sins. I would encourage you to look at the front of your bulletin as you go from here. The front of your bulletin says this. Our purpose is to teach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, to prepare all believers for works of service, to evangelize and continue in fellowship until his return. And I encourage you to go forth and do that. Stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we can share together. I pray that your spirit would work in us. I pray that you would sanctify us. I pray that you would work in us to do your will, to glorify you, to work in your kingdom, to evangelize the world. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.